Sustainable Brands presents The State of Sustainable Procurement, featuring Eric Olson, Senior Vice President of Advisory Services at BSR, William Cornegie, Senior Vice President of Supply Management at Hilton Worldwide, Anastasia O'Rourke, Principal of Sustainability and Performance Excellence at DECRA, and Jason Pearson, Executive Director at the Sustainable Purchasing Council. Recorded live at Sustainable Brands 2013, June 3rd through 6th, in San Diego, California. Good afternoon, everyone, and thanks for joining us. Um, my name is, is Eric Olson. I am a Senior Vice President with BSR. Uh, among other things, I direct um, our Center for Sustainable Procurement that you'll be hearing a little bit about um, during this session. Um, but what I'm going to do, I'm going to wear two hats for this. Um, I, they asked me to be a moderator and also a speaker. I don't know. They didn't give me two different color hats to wear. I'm not exactly sure how that works, but I'll, I'll do my best. Um, so what I'm going to do is, is introduce, the, um, introduce the topic, our speakers. Um, we're each of them going to give us, uh, including myself, um, uh, up to seven minutes or so of an introduction. This is the perspective each of us is bringing into the room on the opportunity of sustainable procurement. Um, then I've got some questions to get us started as a panel, which really are just designed to get you into that conversation uh, as quickly as possible. And uh, really, really hope that we can end uh, what has been a great conference with a bang and a lot of inspiration. Um, so let me just very, very quickly tee up um, the subject matter, then I'll introduce our speakers um, and let them start. So as everyone in this room probably knows, or you wouldn't be here um, uh, at the very end of this conference, there's been an absolute explosion of interest and activity in the, the very tightly linked areas of product level sustainability on the one hand and purchasing or procurement on the other hand. Um, in the case of B2C businesses, this has been driven by a lot of different things. Notably for most of us, the um, uh, ambitious and high-profile programs of some of our big retailers uh, like Walmart, Marks & Spencer, big product manufacturers like Unilever, uh, Procter & Gamble, etc., cetera, uh, where product attributes, the idea that we can actually identify and set out to buy better things um, has, has gone, if not mainstream, then certainly it's less exotic than it was some years ago. By extension, this has gotten into B2B, um, uh, B2B businesses, the suppliers of these same retailers, and then onward upstream as they get components. But also, I would say in parallel, and I'm an uh, old uh, uh, veteran of the space, so I'm going to embarrass. I made your day once, I'll make it twice. Scott Case, some of you will remember if you've been in the field long enough, um, there have been lonely little organizations working in this for a long time, and you had the Center for the New American Dream, which I thrilled him by remembering. Um, others who, uh, on, on behalf of government purchasing, large institutional purchasing, have been circling around this space, uh, getting good work done on a belief um, that, you know, to some extent we are what we buy. That's one motivation. Two, there's just a lot of opportunity to save money and do a lot of other good things while considering the environmental and social attributes of what we buy. So the B2B space has had its own leaders um, and you're going to hear from one a little bit later. Uh, maybe uh, Bill Cornegay from Hilton will be able to tell us whether we should even consider, you know, the channel that, that he's got responses. Is it B to B, B to B to C, B to C to B? It's all of that. It's all of that, right? So we'll we'll figure that out. So I'm just a quick frame uh, for what we mean by sustainable procurement, and each speaker will will add their own um, their own flavor to it. Um, or let me break down the pieces that we think are most interesting. So when we talk about buying better, there are a couple key points in buying better, each of which uh, is, a really is a challenge and exciting opportunity and where there's generally a lot of work to do. So the first question that generally comes up um, is what does good or at least better look like? So it implies that we can go out and say there is anything from a better household cleaner to a better computer. We can agree on what that is and then ask for it or help our suppliers develop it. So challenge number one, what does good look like? Number two, can we get that definition into a form that's practical enough that we can actually ask for better? So in theory, we might know what better is. We're going to be able to ask somebody for it. Um, 
Third, um, how do we get the relevant data and information to, to understand, verify uh, what we're doing? And then last but not least, a, a big broad category we'll spend some time talking about, which is how do we then actually integrate that if we're thinking about purchasing, integrating that into the business of buying things. So at some point, we'll have all these wonderful indexes or green product definitions, whatever they are. We're going to turn them over to teams of people whose job is still to buy at the best price, best quality, on time, deliverably, et cetera, a whole bunch of things uh, by which they are measured in their job. And, and none of the early efforts around certification and the sustainability definitions of that necessarily address that directly. So we've got to look across this entire space. So given the complexity of that space, we um, wanted to put a panel together of uh, people who could provide us um, perspectives um, all along that chain and from some diff different institutional starting uh, points. So we're going to hear first from Anastasia uh, O'Rourke, Dr. Anastasia O'Rourke, I yes. forget the doctor, um, the principal at DECRA Sustainability and Performance Excellence. She's also the co-chair of the Sustainable Purchasing Council that both she will mention and Jason Pierce will talk about more later in the panel. And she's also uh, been a member of the advisory board for the UNEP Sustainable Public Purchasing Initiative. So she's going to start us with a, a broad view of trends in the space and a picture of institutional purchasing that goes beyond corporates to talk about government and government studies in, in that broad landscape. Then we're going to tilt, uh, turn to Bill Cornegay. Uh, Bill is SVP of Supply Management at Hilton Worldwide. Um, it's a very big job. He's going to tell you more about it and why they care about these things. One of my favorite um, uh, quotes, one of your colleagues, Bill, who was trying to educate me in the early days of our work together, said, the first thing you need to understand about Hilton is we buy everything. <laughs> so Bill's uh, job is to buy everything for Hilton and, and to do it right. Um, I'll go after Bill. I've already told you who I am. And then batting uh, cleanup will be Jason Pearson. Uh, who is the Executive Director of the Sustainable Purchasing Council. He's going to tell you about what that is. Uh, he also leads a, a group called Truth Studio. Um, he also, some of you may know, and you should know, he, he's led the creation of some su successful initiatives in sustainable supply chain in the past. Um, he was a founder um, and prime mover at Green Blue, um, and in turn the Sustainable Packaging Coalition. So. Uh, we've got experience from corporate, government, uh, NGO, and other standpoints. Again, we're each going to do five to seven minutes, sort of open, and then get you into the conversation, and, and then all run out of the room together excited and more or less on time. Thanks. Anastasia. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm glad that you're all here and stayed uh, right until the end of this conference. And uh, what I'm going to do, thank you, is talk about some work that um, I did actually with UNEP, United Nations Environment Program, on the state of sustainable public procurement, so national governments around the world. We did a kind of a year-long review of what national governments are doing on sustainable procurement. I'm going to present results and we thought we'd do that for this panel because it's sort of setting the scene internationally um, about all sorts of different activities that go on uh, for sustainable procurement and then we'll get further into to companies doing this and so on. Before I get there this is actually a really nice graphic that Jason Pearson did from Two Studio um, which shows the relative size so the size of those boxes of major categories of people buying stuff, so purchases. In the big grey box, it's private households, and this is in the US. And in the blue box, it's uh, federal, state, and local government. Down the bottom, I don't know if you can see that, but it's hospitals, retail, restaurants, and then just to show the relative scale, Walmart. Um, and I think the main point here is that the, you know, all the governments in the US combined, let alone internationally, buy a lot. Um, it's a massive amount uh, of the percentage of GDP, in fact, is through government purchasing. So if, you know, even if we can move a small percentage of that to become more sustainable, I, we make a big impact. So this study, I'm not actually going to go into this in too much detail, but the study that, um, that I did with UNEP, um, we did pretty comprehensive review of national governments, as I said. It's based on a big survey, a bunch of interviews, case studies. It's actually coming out any day now. I was hoping to say it's, 
coming out today, but of course, UNEP being UNEP, <laughs> it's probably delayed by a few days, but happy to share that with you. If you want to drop me your card, I can make sure that you get a copy of the full report will be public. It's got a lot of good data. Here's a bit of a headline. We found that, um, and this is the first time I presented this, that at least 56 countries, so national governments, have adopted um, either a sustainable public purchasing policy or green public purchasing policy, SPP, GPP. Um, and, and so we, you know, got more details on these. You can see a bit of a regional spread there. Um, we think that, we know in fact that there are more countries out there who are in the process of, of actually adopting one. What's important to understand is that the, they take different forms in different places. So in the US, it's primarily done through this executive order that the, that the White House signed, and, and then there are a lot of different policies that have supported that, some predating it, in fact. In other countries, it's done as part of a procurement regulation, some of it's part of a sustainable development strategy, sometimes it's in their environmental regulation, so it's really coming in different places. Um, there are different agencies involved, different environmental agencies, procurement agencies, and so on. Sometimes there's interagency work groups. Um, there's a lot of work being done in, to implement this in terms of being creating you know, action plans, doing legal reviews, um, making sure that their legal framework um, and actually improving their legal framework to allow these sorts of considerations into their contracting provisions. There's spend analyses going on. And I think what this illustrates, this is actually a ranked um, list of the types of activities that national governments are doing the most often. Um, and there's a lot of analysis and planning going on. <laughs> and I want to make that point that I think many of these government agencies are turning into now the implementation phase, but we're going to see a lot more of that in the coming five years. Um, but a lot of them are really just starting. Um, there's a bunch of product category guidelines being produced. So if you're trying to implement sustainable purchasing, you have a lot of different purchasing offices. How do you actually get them to do it? Oftentimes, governments will issue a product guideline, say, for a particular category. And we found, you know, construction, copy paper, transport, electricity, cleaning products is the top five, where there's either mandatory requirements now in place, there's guidelines that have published, and there's national criteria that are developed. I'm actually tracking these now um, in a proper database. And uh, if you're interested, you can come and talk to me, I find it a really interesting pool of information on what customers actually want for those different product categories. Um, there's, you know, we looked at what are the priority environmental and social issues being considered and energy and greenhouse gases tend to be the largest. I'm really going fast here because we don't have too much time, so I apologize for that. Another point on implementation is that um, doing sustainable procurement um, is not actually just a matter of writing some technical specification in a different way. Um, there you can even look from the very beginning about your need definition. So do you actually need to buy this product? Should you be buying something different? Can you buy a service instead of a product? There's actually some innovative work going on in that, just even pre-getting into the <laughs> actual purchasing cycle. Um, there is some supplier development work that's going on. Supply kind of pre-qualification in some cases. So as an organization, are you environmentally, socially responsible to even get in the door to then sell to the government? Um, and then technical specifications and so on. There's um, relatively little of what we found actual supplier kind of engagement happening from the government and there's probably good legal reasons why that is the case. <laughs> um, I think with companies, they may have a different way of handling that. Yes. What you're showing here, this is suggesting to us that so any given respondent to this question could yep. check more than one of these. Right. Okay. Right. Yes. You're right. So the question was just to be clear, you probably can't see it at the back. In what stages of the procurement cycle is your national government currently emphasizing sustainable purchasing? So this is where it came out. There are many barriers and obstacles, um, and I'll just mention the top one that came back is that people still feel that, that sustainable, sustainable products are more expensive, and whether that's reality or the truth, that is a barrier. 
in this space. So I think we can discuss that and other barriers going forward. Um, and yet, a lot more growth in this is forecast. Um, we asked, do you expect your national government to increase sustainable purchasing activities in the next five years? And, you know, 34% said substantially more, yes. 50% um, said yes, more, and, you know, only 2% said less. And over the past five years, which, you know, as we all know, was a big, severe economic crisis, especially for many national governments, they've been working nonetheless on sustainable purchasing and it appears kind of quite resilient to economic conditions. But I'm sure it slowed things down in some cases, but in nonetheless, we're, we're expecting a lot more to come here, which I think is exciting for the sustainable you know, products and purchasing world. Uh, I'll skip over that. This is uh, just for your reference, my details, and as I said, happy to uh, send you the report or you know, I can, we'll be putting some press out about it, but uh, I think there's a lot of good juicy material in, in there for this audience, so thanks. I think we're gonna hear from Hilda now. Bill. Yep, thank you. Good afternoon. So first let me say I am by no means an expert in this space. But I, uh, and I, I actually should be sitting out in the audience with you asking questions to my much more learned colleagues here. But I do lead a procurement company, a procurement company that buys goods and services for more than 4,000 uh, hotels in 90 countries. And so I think I can provide a thought process on how we do it and where the gaps are and the questions that we have in terms of how we do things better. And so that's what I'm going to try to talk to you about uh, for the first couple of minutes here and hopefully answer some of your questions. So really I want to talk about responsibility and sustainability for, you know, a global hospitality company, the, uh, the metrics that we use, how we actually do some things from a Hilton perspective, and then just a brief comment on why we've chosen to work with uh, the Center for Sustainable Procurement. So, Really, you know, we think that we have to address the challenges and com complexities that are associated with our business. And there are a lot of good organization NGOs that are doing things that are meaningful around the globe that we are trying to participate in. So global soap, some of the soaps that are unused or barely used in our properties, we uh, collect, aggregate, we ship them down to a warehouse in Atlanta and they clean them up and they, uh, they melt them down, they put them back together and they ship them to Africa where people don't have the opportunity to wash their hands or wash themselves on a daily basis to drive uh, cleanliness in the area. We're working on 360 good uh, food banks, uh, clean water for people in the, in the countries that we do business in. So as a global organization, we feel a corporate responsibility to be a good corporate worldwide citizen. And that really does uh, impact the people that uh, stay in the properties where we have. But more than that, it's the 450,000 to 600,000 employees that work with us that live in those areas that when they come to work, that's a much better environment than where they actually live. And so we think that that's part of our responsibility. And we, we work with that through what we call travel with purpose. And it's around creating opportunities, strengthening communities, celebrating cultures, and then living sustainably. So this is how we put it together as our organization. And you can see some of the ways that we, we talk about that. But it really all fits into our corporate citizen, good citizen, global responsibility process. Now, what we have done at Hilton is we've developed a proprietary model that we call LightStay that we use to measure sustainability in all of the 4,000 hotels that we have around the world. And, you know, being a for-profit organization, when we do these type of things, we're hoping to make money at it. So obviously, we try to find ways to use sustainability to help us drive costs out of our, pro uh, out of our hotels and our properties. And so, again, from a procurement standpoint, when we're thinking about, we're thinking about um, things that, you know, you can talk about that you wouldn't necessarily think about. So um, HVA system, HVAC systems, you know, there are a number of people that produce HVA systems, but we're trying to find ones that have the less impact on the, in the environment. And so one of the challenges that, uh, that, you know, everybody talks about is that right now, anything that is sustainably better costs more. And as an organization, that doesn't work for me. 
So we've got to find that right balance so that we get sustainability, sustainable products, sustainable systems to be on cost comparative with, you know, products that aren't. But you can see that, you know, we drive water uses, energy, carbon output, measure waste. This really, this light stay program, Hilton had a five-year objective to reduce our output by 20%. And because, uh, you know, when you start to measure things and, and you hold people accountable, um, we actually hit that goal three years into our five-year uh, five path. And so now we're going to rethink where we want to be. But it has had a significant input in terms of uh, driving our sustainability performance, but also saving money for Hilton Worldwide, which is a really good thing. Now, let me talk to you a little bit about kind of what this really means from a procurement company, certainly from, from Hilton Worldwide. And I thought this would be a great example that everybody would be able to, uh, to get their heads around. So at Hilton Worldwide, we buy approximately 200,000 mattresses a year. So 200,000 mattresses, you know, we're not stacking them on top of the mattresses that are already there, right? <laughs> so we have to do something with the 200,000 mattresses that we're replacing. And historically, those 200,000 mattresses have gone in the landfill. So a mattress in a box brings about 150, 160 pounds that goes into landfill. We're paying, I don't know, $25 a mattress and box brings set to, to have it disposed of. And we had to find, we thought we could find a better way to do that. So we've worked with a company called DH Hospitality, and they have actually created a, a methodology to recycle these mattresses. And they've done it in a way that the cost for us to recycle it is actually significantly cheaper, cheaper by half what it costs to us to send it to a landfill. And they can take a mattress and they can recycle 90% of that mattress and put it back into other things that are useful. So now we found a situation that really works for us, right? So we had to dispose of 200,000 mattresses around the globe somehow. Now we found a sustainable way to do it that actually saves money for us. And you say, yeah, it costs you $25, and yeah, you save half of that, so you save $12 a mattress. $12 is not a really big deal. Well, when you multiply 12 times 200,000, all of a sudden that is a big deal. So again, from a company standpoint, we have to find ways to do things that are right for the organization being saving money, as well as doing things that are right for our corporate responsibility and you know, the uh, kind of the universe. So really, that's why we got involved with uh, the Center for uh, Sustainable Procurement, with BSR. Because we knew that at Hilton, we were working hard trying to figure out how do we do this, what do we need to do, and we didn't know. Again, we're not experts in the space. So we wanted to find someone who, uh, who had more expertise than we did, who could link us with other people that were working in this space to help us figure out what the best thinking is among other people that are doing very similar things so that we weren't reinventing the wheel, we weren't wasting our time, and we certainly weren't going in a direction that was leading us someplace that I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say wasn't sustainable, and if, if you get what I mean, wasn't sustainable means right now we have, depending on the purchasing, purchasing agent that's doing the work, some of our people are you know, more conscientious than others. They ask that second, third, fourth question. Some of my younger guys who are just trying to figure out how to do it, they're only asking that first question, how much does it cost? So, you know, we really need some help to figure out where to go, and so that's why we turned to Eric and his team to help us with that thinking, and hopefully the efforts that we're leading combined with the efforts of others will help us get to a better place than we could have gotten by ourselves, and certainly much quicker. And I think that's it for me. Right. You know what, I would, I'm sorry, I have one more slide. I will say this. The one thing that helps this really take hold for me, you know, I'm a senior vice president at Hilton, and you might think, wow, that, that position may have some juice and responsibility, and I will say that it does, but there are there's some other people that are senior vice presidents and some people above me, and if it wasn't for our CEO really stepping up and helping everybody understand that this is important to Hilton, this is not a flavor of the month, that this is something that we are going to do as a business, we're going to stick to it, and we're going to be committed to it, uh, we wouldn't be able to get that done. So I want I want to give a big shout out to uh, Christopher Nacetta for uh, his play in this as well. Thank you. Thank you. It's great. Yeah, no okay, that's great. Thank you so much, Bill. So what um, I'm going to do now, I've got my um, speaker hat on for the next five minutes, um, and I want to give you a flavor for what um, we're trying to do, uh, are doing with the Center for Sustainable Procurement. 
Um, one thing Bill didn't mention that I should is the, the center actually came directly out of having worked with Hilton for about two years, yeah. I think it was, um, where we had, were, were working the problem in their supply chain categories. And in the course of doing that work, Bill and team looked at it, looked at the results, looked at the complexity of getting this right, and said, if we do not open up, and I give them a lot of credit for this, if we don't open up the front end of that funnel a lot and find a way to get a lot more companies in sharing their experience, it's going to take forever. Because I think we did a lot, two years of work, and we maybe hit a couple hundred out of several thousand SKUs. And we weren't, didn't even feel like we were doing that great with the couple hundred. Some of them were better than others. So this whole notion of, of accelerating the learning, getting different people in, finding that pre-competitive space, and making it work is fundamental. And, and Hilton then gave us, and I'll explain a little more of this in a minute, um, the first three years of funding so that we could get other companies involved in, and it's not a paying proposition which is a pretty unusual program. So let me start with the pitch in mind. I'll be very happy to talk to people at the end of this. Um, we're looking for another batch of companies to get involved in the center. We don't need your money, but we will take your time. <laughs> we will require your commitment. You'll take their money. Uh, uh, we'll, get, we'll help them make more money. OK. Yeah, no, we don't need, well, we don't need it. Yeah, we'll take it, but we don't need it. That's the point. Um, you got me off there. <laughs> sure, we'll take it. I was trying to but help. The, <laughs> So that we're looking for another round, and you'll see what it takes in just a minute. But very importantly, um, this is not a new idea. You heard it in my intro, and it's more true, more true now than ever. And some of you, many of you will know um, uh, the Sustainability Consortium, uh, the Sustainable Apparel Coalition, literally hundreds of eco-labels. This notion of you know, the hard work that's been done to help us define in a consistent way what a better product is, is the work of thousands of people. The very important thing to say about the center is we are looking to duplicate precisely zero of that work. This is not about yet more definitions for better products. This is about how do we take those definitions, because in our view, that's when the journey begins for a purchasing manager. It doesn't end. Now we've just added something new. We've got to figure out how to use it. Uh, and I thought Bill brought that, to, brought that to life nicely. So the center is really focused on going deep with companies who want to participate do pilot projects with this. We're going to run the category from A to Z, work with purchasing, work with the sustainability team, uh, third parties who have data to share, whatever it takes. And the idea is to take the idea of a better product and finish with a procurement team that has successfully purchased it, said, yeah, we get it. We understand how we can buy better and greener and more socially responsible at the same time, achieve some business objectives, not only keep our jobs, hopefully we're going to be heroes. That's, that's the basic um, idea. So to my point, uh, we're really focused on the how for purchasing managers. And you see up here a small subset of the organizations that have already done and in some cases published great work that helps us begin to define what a better product is, what we should be looking for. Um, so I can't emphasize this enough, and I think Jason's going to do a similar little, little speech because Part of the thing we had to make sure people understand, we're not proliferating initiatives for the fun of it. This is a very focused um, initiative that's really seeking to work with companies and make it real and bring it home. Um, and I'm going to finish with just a couple examples. And I don't know what happened when I uploaded this to Sustainable Brands, but there should be an AT&T, a Best Buy, and a Dell down the left-hand side. So uh, use your imagination. These are insights pulled from three um, company cases. Those are the three cases that have run through um, some pilot activities with the Center for Sustainable Procurement in the first year. They illustrate an interesting sort of tantalizing variety of situations that we chose on purpose. In the case of AT&T, it was very close to the um, HVAC, uh, uh, heating, ventilation, air conditioning case that Bill mentioned, where we had a situation which many of us faced where we knew uh, they knew, this, the purchasing team before our center got anywhere near them knew that there was some technology we could put into that equipment that would dramatically improve the energy efficiency of the equipment. But those parts cost a little bit more, and the cost of switching cost even more than that. So in most companies, it may make you want to tear your hair out, but capital budgeting and a whole bunch of other things tell us uh, we've got to look at ROI. And even if we can show 
that the, you know, long term we've got lower energy, all of these projects under current rules would have failed. So they turned to us and said, how can we make this more of a total cost of ownership approach work with our HVAC equipment so we can get approval to spend a little bit extra money in the first couple of quarters and make back a whole bunch of money down the line and support our company in achieving its energy and climate objectives. So that was that case. Um, Best Buy, um, we worked not on a product uh, that they sell, uh, but also a, a product in their store. They have thousands of stores, and those stores have a lot of fixtures. So in that question, you have these complex uh, built-to-order products that they make. They're made out of different combinations of wood, metal, uh, uh, glass, etc. And how can we um, substitute wherever possible better, better materials while doing enough light weighting and other things at the same time that we have some cost offsets uh, and help create some winners in the stores uh, while lightening the footprint of the stores. And then finally, Dell, another case which we can talk more about in, um, in Q&A, really interesting example, um, very different one. We actually took on one of their core products, took on a laptop. Now, they've done a lot of work with the consortium and other organizations for years saying, well, what's a better laptop? How would we make our laptops better? We then wanted to ask the next question saying, okay, let's assume the definition we've got is good enough. How do we now actually go in an incredibly complex supply chain, go about implementing the making of a better computer? So there we're actually working with their original design manufacturers, people in the factory saying, what if we just tried to improve one thing about a laptop? Because that's going to be hard enough. There's actually a hundred things we could improve. Let's start with one. And we said, what if we just reduce the energy it took to make a laptop computer? Everyone can, in theory, can measure energy. But how do we do it? We've got a supply chain that goes back probably 12 steps uh, and is spread across southern China, a bunch of other places. So that's the pilot in that case. Um, some of the findings from this, which I'll leave you with, um, that we can talk about that I think um, maybe form the basis of an interesting conversation uh, and, and maybe the experiences of our other folks here too. Number one, involve the right players. Purchasing is just the beginning of the story and the purchasing group is a small set of the total number of internal players who affect how a product is specified, designed, and used, and all of those things affect sustainability. Two, as I tried to illustrate with the three very different examples, um, you're gonna have different strategies depending on, on the nature of the category um, and the supplier relationships. Is it B2B or is it B2C? Is it a simple product that we can substitute by just specifying something different and putting it out to bid? Or is it complex as the Dell laptop? They have ODMs they've been working with who actually help them design their computers. They're not switching them anytime soon. If we're gonna lightweight the computer, it's because we're working with them. I don't even know if we call that procurement at that point. Maybe that's supply chain management. Doesn't matter, we need to make the computer better. Um, and so forth. So a lot of, a lot of uh, fitting to purpose of the strategy. Third, obviously a clear business case. And, and most of the time, the business case is not clear when we start. So this is where we're looking to publish more cases and materials. Direct cost savings, relatively easy in principle. Reduce total cost of ownership. Conceptually, easy to show, hard to get through the system, but a great approach that deserves more consideration. And then a huge number of things where we're looking to make the case for creating indirect value via support of a company's sustainability objectives. So this is where we might get into some of the stuff which is often softer, brand value, whether it's employee brand, product brand, um, uh, and other things of that nature. And then finally, I tried to, to illustrate with the, um, with the uh, Dell and Energy case, um, it's great that we have a, a picture now of what total sustainability of their product looks like, but it might be that the best way for us to succeed is to start simple and scale up from there. So if we actually can implement energy throughout the whole chain, that'll tell us something powerful about going after some of the things that are harder to measure. So that's it. Um, that's the center. Jason, you're going to take us on to the next step. Thanks, Eric. My name is Jason Pearson, and I act as executive director for the Sustainable Purchasing Council. I'm going to share a little bit of information about that. I'll show a few slides, but I'll mostly just talk about a few points. Um, but first, let me just give you a little bit of background about the Council. Some of you may have heard of a group called the Green Products Roundtable, 
which convened in 2008 through a group called the Keystone Center, which is a professional facilitation organization that has convened many successful private and public sector collaborations, many of them in the field of sustainability, including some of you may be familiar with a, an initiative called Field to Market, which was also convened by the Keystone Center. So Keystone Center convened this group of over, over 30 organizations across a variety of sectors, including some very large companies, government agencies, nonprofit organizations, and market advisors to the space of green products. And what brought each of the organizations to the table was the sense that there was a need for greater clarity in the marketplace around green product claims. And a sense that the lack of clarity around green product claims was a problem for all of these organizations for different reasons. Over the course of the next four years, the group worked together in a collaborative mode to develop a number of work products. I've shown you a couple of them here. The first was a green purchasing lexicon, which just laid out some of the terminology that people use to talk about green purchasing and green products. The second was this, a guidance document for identifying credible green claims, kind of how-to for an organization to identify what a credible green claim looks like. That, those two pieces of guidance were then folded into guidance to the Federal Trade Commission as it was updating its green guides, providing them input on what this multi-stakeholder group felt was an appropriate way to update those guides. And many of the recommendations were implemented in the most recent update to the guides. Following on that work, starting in 2011, the group started to focus on something that it called the GPR framework, which was an attempt to provide an intellectual framework, literally a way of thinking about how to connect that often confusing world of eco-labels and standards and claims and certifications, each of which individually aspires to bring tremendous clarity to one category in the marketplace, but all of which collectively as a crowd of starting in, back in 1995, maybe a dozen labels and certifications until maybe 2010, 2011, 2012, moving into 100, 200, over 300 labels, certifications, and standards in the marketplace. Collectively, that proliferation has produced not clarity, but confusion. And so the group was very interested in how do we connect that confusing, that body of knowledge, which is a tremendously rich body of knowledge in its specificity, but confusing in its entirety. How do we collect, collect, connect that body of knowledge with a separate body of knowledge that's been developing within organizations around how do we prioritize which categories of stuff that we buy are the most important to focus on? So how do we take out of that landscape of guidance within each different product category, the guidance on the other side from the purchaser side of, well, I know that there are certain things that I buy that I really want to focus on. So within those, how do I look at that landscape and pull out what's most useful to me? The framework was an attempt to try to create an intellectual model for how to do that as a basis for future work. And then the final piece of work that the roundtable did was to commission a business plan for what at that time they were calling an independent respected body and an unglamorous name for what I think has now become the Sustainable Purchasing Council. But the ambition was to bring, to bring into existence an organization that could implement that framework in some meaningful way. And so the group met in January of 2012 to review the draft business plan that had been produced. And one of the most interesting conclusions of that meeting was that the framework from a purchaser's perspective, the framework was tremendously valuable, but it would really be relatively useless, and spe this speaks to the point that some of the other, the other presenters have made, be relatively useless without a broader program of how to implement that framework in practice, how to do it to make it very easy to implement that framework. And so the group came up with the idea of the Sustainable Purchasing Council, and the question that was really posed was, could we collaborate to create a shared program of guidance, measurement, and recognition for leadership in sustainable purchasing, and proposed a mission for a new organization, the Sustainable Purchasing Council, to support and recognize organizations in taking responsibility for the consequences, for really all of the consequences, of all of their goods and services spending. And we saw this as, for an organization to do this, to think about, and let me just pause for a second, I'm interested in something that was said earlier, that there's a common perception that something called sustainable or green purchasing costs more. I think that's really, it's, a, it's common in venues like this to say, well, that's not really true. And it certainly shouldn't be true. I mean, it just, uh, as Bill said, it just won't, the purchasing won't happen if it costs more. That's just the reality. So it, sustainable purchasing that costs more just doesn't exist because it won't happen. That said, if we rename it as 
far-sighted purchasing. <laughs> purchasing, more, more, purchasing more broadly understood. People who think differently about their purchasing decisions through, through mental tools like total cost of ownership. Then you don't really have to call it sustainable. You don't have to call it something added on. It's just that you're thinking from a different perspective about what is most valuable to you and how you will get the most value out of the purchase you make. And that's really the focus of this group. Those organizations that think in that bigger picture way, we see as leadership organizations. And it's very important to us that we see the council as a leadership organization. And my favorite quote about leadership is a quote from a couple of management thinkers, Benning and Manus, who wrote, a, wrote an essay and a book in 1985. The quote from which I extract is, that managers are people who do things right, and leaders are people who do the right thing. If we, if we apply that to that confusing landscape of eco-labels, what I see is a landscape of labels and certifications in each of which people have a method for doing something right. If I'm buying this kind of product, here's a method for doing that right. If I'm buying this kind of product, here's a method for doing, doing this right. But the leadership question is, what is the right thing to do? What is the right thing to focus on? among all the things that I buy, I can't do something right on everything. I have limited resources, limited staff, I have to focus somewhere. So the question for the council is not only, it's really almost inverting the order. I wrote down the order of, of questions that, that Eric had asked of kind of what does good look like and then how do we formalize it and then how do we implement that in purchasing. And we're, we're almost turning that around and saying, let's look at all of the purchasing, all of the spending first and ask, where is it most important to focus based on what we know about the, the organizational impacts and also the larger social and environmental impacts that may be relevant for our organizations? Where should we focus first? Having focused there and knowing what we know about how we implement purchasing, what are the opportunities for us to do good within those categories? And it might be to use an eco-label or a standard or a certification. It might be through a definition of good at the product level, but it might be something else. We ran a pilot one of the first things the Purchasing Council did was to run a pilot with the Association for the Advancement of Sustainability in Higher Education, which hosts a program called the STARS program, which provides guidance, measurement, and recognition for universities as a whole for leadership in their sustainability activities, inclusive of a broad range of activities, what they do in the classroom, what they do in the research lab, what they do in their operations, how they think about their investments, a whole range. We look just at the purchasing components of the STARS program. And the example I wanted to share with you is looking, we did an analysis of higher education as a whole. So the big picture was, where should you focus first if you're a university? So we looked at what universities buy, and then what we know from exclusively started with just an environmental perspective, what we know about the supply chain environmental impacts of that purchasing. Perhaps not surprisingly for those of you who work in this space, overwhelmingly, the most important thing to focus on was electricity purchasing. That was kind of the big long bar like this on the bar chart. The next one, about this long, food, then fuel, then construction, then waste, and then everything else was little bits all down here. So we, energy, there's a lot of work on electricity purchasing. We, we focused on food as an interesting category. And the, the interesting thing about food is the impacts, many of the impacts are very far upstream. So the reason that food flags so high as an environmental impact is because of agricultural practices that happen pretty far away from the purchasing organization. So one of the easiest things to reduce those impacts is just buy less. Buy less food, you, you create less impact. You do that, speaking to the mattress example, by wasting less food. The less food you waste in your organization, the less food you buy, the less impact you have. So the most strategic leadership action from a purchasing perspective for a university that has a residential population that eats a lot of food is to figure out how to buy less, how to reduce waste. Arguably the most efficient way to do that in a campus cafeteria is take trays out of the cafeteria. So the leadership action from a sustainable purchasing perspective is to take the trays out of your cafeteria and reduce your food waste as step one before you start worrying about what's the right eco-label for my food. Because that is going to get you a lot further. Taking those trays out of the cafeteria is going to get you way further than worrying about whether you buy local or buy organic. Just don't buy it at all. So that, that perspective, that perspective of the leadership perspective is what we're trying to bring to the conversation around how you think about sustainable purchasing. The analogy that we're using for the organization is U.S. Green Building Council, bringing together a community of purpose to meet a challenge that we think is very similar to the challenge that building and construction professionals faced in the early 1990s. 
many, many people trying to do green building, inventing and reinventing the same wheels, learning from one another, but in a really disorganized way. What U.S. Green Building Council allowed was for those people, those committed people who cared about this issue, to come together in a community of purpose and create a single guidance, measurement, and recognition program. So our ambition is to do the same thing for purchasing, for an organization to provide them a program that allows them to analyze their spending, prioritize, correlate that prioritization to actions that are available to them in the marketplace, implement it, and hopefully earn recognition in some form that's meaningful to them. And that's the more detailed version of that idea. I'll stop there and go from there. Thanks very much. Thanks, Jason. So that's great. Thank you so much. Um, I've certainly got some questions teed up, but you've all been um, patient and paying attention. So let me give you the first chance. Um, questions for anyone uh, on this panel or the group? And tell us who you are, please. So Karen from CSRWare has a question. Yes. Um, so you mentioned 100 plus you know, certification, labels, et cetera, et cetera. And I think we're all going insane for the abundance. So I like this idea of bringing it together. Lead is something common. People understand. It's been adopted. How are you going to get all those people as part of this council? Like, what's kind of the plan? So the, the comment and question was, love, love the lead analogy, Jason. Um, hundred, you know, getting the hundreds boiled down to something more manageable. But that also took a long time. Lead took a while to do, so how are you going to do it? How are you going to pull this off? Thanks for that question. And I think there's the, the most honest answer is that we don't know 100% of the answer. We'll know that five years from now once we've done it, just as USGBC knew afterward how it worked out that it would be possible. I think what we, but what we're starting is to directly copy everything that LEAD has done, improving on what those, those things that I think we and many who've been involved in LEAD would say, we wish we'd done it differently, trying to do those things differently that we learned maybe didn't work as well. But what I, the reason that I say it's pretty direct match is that I think in the building construction community as well, there were a proliferation, there are a proliferation of labels around, say, building products. And the format for a group of people to come together to talk about, for example, cover, wall coverings or floor coverings or paints within a building and what is green within, within a building is, a, is, I think, a format that LEED has done an okay job of structuring. And it's a format that many standards developers use of bringing a multi-stakeholder group together and agreeing on what, what the most important criteria are for the category. Our first job is to figure out what are the categories that are worth focusing on first? And I think I gave you a hint by talking about, the, by, about higher education that we're going to be skewing toward those we think are impactful across a broad range of types of organizations. So I expect that those labels, certification standards, and those other communities of expert within those categories, we're inviting them to the table as members in the council in the same way that USGBC invites its membership to come to the table to create something called LEAD. Others, please. Yes, sir, with the blue shirt there. say the answer is is no we haven't because again we're not we're not experts in mattresses so we, we we have a business to run and as part of our business we need to procure mattresses for our customers to to sleep in and so we go to the the industry leaders 
mattress industry leaders, and you can guess who the top three or four mattress guys are. And we tell them, here's our requirements. You know, we, I think the point was made by Eric or Jason that, that there are other people who are involved in the process. So as a procurement organization, it's not my responsibility to design the mattress that our, our hotels need. Right? We have 10 brands in Hilton. Each brand has a different requirement for a mattress. It's not my responsibility. It is to work with those guys to make sure that we understand the why they're purchasing what they're doing, why they're designing it the way they are. And then we engage the supplier community to go out and we find those guys that have the ability to right now deliver the quality, the quantity, and then the cost that we need. So, so again, I'm not, I'm, we're not experts in, in mattresses. We're not experts in a lot of the things that we buy, but we buy a lot of those things. And so we're really looking for, I'm going to say, the industry of the community thinking to drive the suppliers to supply better products from the sustainable process that meet my requirements but don't cost me more. Great. Bonnie, please. specifically for government. So just in case you couldn't hear that, the question was, uh, Bonnie was highlighting based on a lot of experience, how, how challenging it can be to get this kind of information from government buyers. Uh, you know, just in terms of who, who we're buying from, how much volume, et cetera. And they're, they, they make the market in a lot of ways. One of the, um, one of the things that we saw in our study and also some other work I did with GSA is, is that um, governments, are doing um, what you would call a spend analysis <laughs> just to start off with and even finding out for them to find out how much they're spending and on what is a huge process. Interestingly enough, it's, it's not, you know, integrated information. <laughs> um, and uh, so that's just step one, but I think to your, your question, I think oftentimes it comes down to not only price, quality and so on, but it's... Um, you know, can we extend that definition of cost to whole-of-life cost, as it's called in Europe, or life cycle costing, so that you're really looking at the full life of that product? And I think that many, um, many governments around the world are actually extending their definitions of price and cost to like a, what they call value for money, which can include more considerations just, you know, from life cycle costing point of view as well. So that's one step in this. But yeah, getting it into the contract language is, is a challenge. <laughs> because I hesitate to guess that, that governments typically talk about total delivered cost. So how many do I want to buy? How much is going to cost me to, to get it from where it is to where I need it? And really, they're not looking at the sustainable or how much is it going to cost me over a five-year period, right? right? So they're looking at, you know, within the, the calendar year or within the, the year that they have the money to spend from a capital expense, how many do I need, how many can I buy for what I want? And I agree, it's, it's not really the, the total cost, but it's, it's what they're measured on from a performance standpoint at that time. In the back there, yes, please. I 
biggest problem with having accurate data from my suppliers at any given time around cost, Absolutely. quality, and lead time. And so, Absolutely. Um, just wonder, like, as you're creating this council and you're developing this framework, what kinds of tools are needed, specifically around information systems, to get these standards, like, to actually be implemented by these companies? And, and is that something you're thinking about? Um, is data quality an issue for you guys? Thanks for that question. I think data quality is an issue for everybody these days, not just for us. Um, and it, it certainly is a very serious question for us. And I think from a practical perspective, as what is still a very small startup organization with a big vision, we have to be prudent about thinking about what is practical to expect that we can achieve. I don't have high hopes that we're going to have highly functioning data transparency and transmission mechanisms for the types of information that we would love to have in the next five years. And so I would, and the horizon for a startup is less than five years. So I look forward to the greater data transparency in the systems. We're very supportive of the development of those systems, but I think practically speaking, our timeline is within 18 months to have version one of a guidance and recognition program out. And so we're, we're looking really at what are the tools that are available today in the marketplace that are already fully functioning and how can we make use of those to create a guidance and recognition program that is good enough as version one and highlights and is constructed in a way that it highlights the gaps that exist in order to highlight that there are data gaps. There are gaps in the way that we transmit data. There are gaps in the kinds of questions that we ask of our suppliers. And so that looking maybe towards version three or version four and five or six years down the road, maybe by that time, We've, we've, been, we've been able to participate in the plurality of voices who are calling for better data transmission systems. I would point to the best system I know of that is already pointing in this direction that we would hope would build out further would be a system like SEDEX, with which you're probably familiar, but it's pretty weak. I mean, everything's pretty weak these days, and, but at least it's an attempt. So let me, um, let me add an answer to that from the perspective of the, the Center for Sustainable Procurement, because in some way, um, what's becoming clearer to me as we have this conversation is we represent an approach where we're, our breadth is much narrower and we're attempting to go much deeper end to end. So that data question you raised is absolutely fundamental, in particular to the Dell case that I highlighted. I can think of fewer more complex chains and literally if we you know at the end of the day there's maybe 14 layers to that chain and I say Bonnie XHP nodding vigorously very similar right so um, we're going to need to crack that along the way and and to some extent I mean what's interesting if you look at everything that's been accomplished all the great brand stories and their supply chain stories we've heard this week here it is nonetheless true that the state of the art in this supply chain work we're talking about goes back to tier one in some rare cases, two and pockets of three, in products, electronics is extreme, but not the only one, where actually we might need to go to T12 at the end of the day. There is so much space to carry. So what we're looking to do, and I happily talk to you, uh, we're actually, I, we've got Tomas Odenwald from SAP up here in the front. We're in talks with them as well to get involved in our pilot work, our next year's work. We need companies, probably technology partners and others. <clears throat> Before we talk about scaling a mega system, we think there's going to be a lot of power in taking a few worked cases and just go all the way. What does it actually look like when you get it right? Because everyone has got the same nervous thought in the back of their head, oh my god, can we actually get any of this stuff? So we're, you, you know, simple case, one element, energy, measure it all the way to the back. I bet you do. Well, there you go. So then now, now we're getting into now we're getting into economics and politics the, a lot. That's, other, I totally agree with you. By the way, the other thing I would say is that we there are systems of information flow that aren't so much technology and data driven that have been developing some of the some of the chain of custody certification systems, like say. Forest Stewardship Council's certification is a chain of custody system whose intention is to trace those issues that are important within a particular category, forestry products, not through an existing, not through an existing enterprise management system, so it's not really integrated in that way, but if it's a sufficiently 
accurate proxy, and if it's demonstrated to be a sufficiently accurate proxy for deep supply chain information, then you don't need the data as much as you need to know whether that organization is doing good work. If it's not, then we may go to other proxies, like legality of logging within different countries. I mean, it's really, it's really, it may not be as tight a system as we'd hope. Uh, we're going to take two more, and that will still mean that you spent an hour with us, so I am being fair with your time. So Tomas up here in front, and then um, you'll be the last one there. I outed you already. Yeah. So, so if I understand the Walmart example, Walmart didn't actually incentivize suppliers. They said, if you don't do this, you can't do business with us. So, so, yeah. oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I thought you were talking about suppliers because we haven't figured that out either, right? So, so for a buyer, we, we've really got to educate, it's around the education of our people. So ultimately, we would love to be able to have a, a standard of measure that you would be able to um, assign to a product, good, or service that indicated its level of sustainability or its level of impact on the environment. And then you could compare one product versus another or one company versus another predicated on their level of sustainability. Uh, until that happens, until my, my colleagues and their thinking have convinced people that you know there's some legitimate ways to do that, we as an organization have to, as we train our buyers, we have to train people that this is the process that we need you to go through. And so when we look at those processes, when we talk about least landed cost or total delivered cost or however we articulate that, we have to make sure that within that process we are asking the sustainability question. And, um, and again, it, um, um, it's, it's heavy lifting. And that's, again, the reason that we've, we've tried to uh, liaise with some people that are in the industry to help us with the thinking so that we can make sure that we're taking advantage of the, the best and the brightest of the thought process and that we're not, uh, we're not re, uh, reinventing the wheel or recreating the space um, as it goes. But, but candidly, right now, if you look at the top five things that, that a buyer for, for my organization or other organizations that I've worked in are measured by, it doesn't, it doesn't hit that. Okay, we've got a last question right there. So that was from J. Lore Winery, if I got that. It says, what about us excellent medium to small size businesses who would like some of these tools uh, without having to deal with characters like this who, um, and, and a lot of fancy slides? You want to state that? <laughs> Thank, not you, my, not Thank, line, you, but, uh, Thank you, Thank you, Thank you, I was hoping I would get to answer your question. Um, well. The answer is that there are a few resources that the Green Products Roundtable has put together already that are useful in a kind of conceptual way. But in terms of practical implementation tools for making purchasing and procurement decisions, we're certainly not offering anything yet. But I'd say within 12 months, our goal is 
a rough timeline is 18 months from, ha from launch, launch being late August, early September, we would have a version one of the system up and running. And that would be useful to any size organization. We're also looking to, we have already an, a relationship with a, an, inf an information management provider who we think will be able to offer something for smaller, smaller purchasers as well. Um, but whether or not the guidance system itself will be useful. But be before that 18-month point, we're looking within 6 to 12 months to launch a few resources that will be a little bit more in the spirit of the deliverables from the Green Products Roundtable, more guidelines and ways to think about issues that might be useful, resource spend analysis resources that are available already in the marketplace just to guide guidelines on wh what they are, who's providing them, and what their relative value is. I just wanted to add one point. Um, about the question of many proliferating questionnaires that you know companies are getting and then in turn putting out down their supply chain. I think that's part of the reason these initiatives need to be uh, both connected and multi-stakeholder and have a lot of people involved because otherwise it's going to halt everything if everyone's doing their own thing and not defining things in the same way and not calling things the same thing and recognizing some things and not others. So it's really important as a community that we all kind of rally around what's actually good quality already and build on that and use common tools. So, And uh, let, me, let me add on, um, though I tapped Jason first, I was just being polite. Um, <laughs> all, all the research that we're doing, the cases, uh, all for public consumption. So this is a condition, uh, again, if, if a company's interested in working with us, we'll take on the case, we'll do it, but what we get is management commitment to see it through and a public published case and related tools. So it's all going to go out there. Some of it will be more relevant than others. And I actually think more of it relevant than maybe we think because I, I actually think part of what we're showing is that the folklore around the Walmart, so-called Walmart approach is a little exaggerated. Even they don't get to just say, give it to us because we want it. It's not that simple. So these more flexible, engaged ways of working with suppliers, doing things that your average human buyer can understand, they need that too. Everybody needs it. When you take this from a couple marquee products to something that thousands of people can do as part of their day job, the needs aren't as different as they seem. So I think you know, good public published tools and things should be helpful. Um, we need to stop because uh, we've gone about five minutes over an hour. We appreciate your interest and engagement. Hope you found it useful. Uh, and I think a few of us will be around for a bit after the session. Thanks a lot. Get more audio like this and join the Sustainable Brands community at sustainablebrands.com.